0: So years ago, a new rabbi in a small town was invited to give the baccalaureate address for the, local, the graduating class of the local high school. And he began by telling the students and their families a story from the Torah, one of the first five books in the Jewish Bible. It's, it's from the book of Numbers. And it tells of a time when the people of Israel were still in the wilderness after Moses had led them out, from the land out of Egypt in slavery in Egypt, and they'd been in the wilderness for a long time, and Moses was now preparing them to enter this new land, uh, their land of promise, the land of Canaan. So Moses, um, in anticipation, sent ahead 12 spies, spies into the land of Canaan to see what the land was like and to see what the people were like. And all 12 came back with glowing descriptions of the land. 10 told spread this spread word or through the camp however that the people in the land of Canaan were giants and they said we appeared in their eyes as grasshoppers and the rabbi paused and said to the students this is a most extraordinary statement we appeared in their eyes as grasshoppers For how can any of us know how we appear in the eyes of another? And then he said this, this is the question for you to answer for the rest of your lives. Do you see yourself as a reflection of how you think you appear in the eyes of other people? If so, you will never know for certain who you are. It is misleading to assume that because what you see outside of yourself appears large, that you therefore are small. Or conversely, if what appears small before you, that you are large. Not only may you not be a grasshopper when others appear to you as giants, but even if others come and tell you that you're a grasshopper, this may not be the case. And I tell you this story today because I think it's one of the most important tasks for all of us, and it's never-ending, really. Where do we go t- and to whom do we listen in order to discover and claim who we are and what we know to be true about ourselves? Um... And as we grow and mature, we have to learn how to balance or to keep in some kind of dialogue the messages that come to us from the outside and what speaks to us from within. And even as the story reminds us what we think other people think, which is like a whole other level of subjectivity. Now, I want to say, as what you all know, outside perspectives have their place, especially in early stages of development, but they can never replace what is given to us by God um, and that we develop in relationship to God and to others who know God, and that is that inner core identity that God gives each one of us. Now, we heard another story read, and you can look back to it in your bulletin, from Another book in the Jewish Bible of the boy, Jeremiah, whom God called at a very young age, a very young age, to do something brave. And uh, when Jeremiah protested that he couldn't do what God wanted, God assured him that he was not alone, that God was going to give him all that he needed. And when Jeremiah protested that no one would listen to him because he was only a boy, God's response in essence was, I know exactly how old you are. And I'm calling you to do this anyway. And if you've ever had an experience like that, an experience of being scared and having, and being given strength and courage inside you, you know what a powerful experience that is. And the impact of it extends way beyond whatever it is that one thing that you are being asked to do. It, it, it builds inside you this sense of yourself that is not as easily swayed anymore by the forces that conspire to keep us all anxious and afraid, right? And I think of Jesus in this context, as he experienced first the admiration and then the rage of those gathered in the synagogue on that day in Capernaum, which would have been a cause, which would have been cause for a severe case of self-esteem whiplash, right? Right? If he took to heart what people said about him, first they speak well of him, then they want to float, throw him off the cliff. And the contrast is so striking. Actually, this is hilarious. Some biblical scholars speculate that he must have spoken in Capernaum twice, prompting separate reactions because they so contradicted and the story must have been squished together somehow. But, but we know in, in reading the stories of Jesus that this juxtaposition of adulation and offense Continued throughout his entire life. One day he's loved, the next day he's reviled. The same crowds that spread palms in adoration as he enters Jerusalem are going to scream for his crucifixion just a few days later. And he never seems to be unduly concerned with or impressed by how others perceive him, right? He does what he feels he's called to do, he says what he feels he has to say. And as the scriptures tell us, he continues on his way. It's not that he doesn't care what people think. You may recall the time he asked the disciples, who do the people say that I am? And, and who do you say that I am? But it wasn't that he needed them to tell him who he was. He wanted to know what their responses told them about them. Now, one of the most important gifts of being part of a faith tradition, like Christianity, and a spiritual community like Christ Church, is that we can experience and cultivate, with one another and with God, that inner grounding that Jesus has, when it comes to whether that comes through a relationship with God. And while there is much about the spiritual life that seems to require, especially in the second half of life, a kind of stripping away of oneself. It is, in fact, a process that gives us more of who we are as we allow ourselves to let go of the things that diminish us from the fullness that God desires for us. And a faith community like this one, Christ Church, you're at your best when you help one another be true to who each other is, not as others see you, not in extremes of adulation or scorn, not as giants or grasshoppers, but humbly and gloriously fully yourself. The glory of God, one of the early fathers said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And one of the most important tasks of parenting and of raising children in Christian community is to equip our children as they grow so that they form this sense of themselves, sure of their intrinsic worth, in a world that will tell them very quickly that they are to be judged by whatever external standards there are in fashion at the time. And again, some of those standards have their place, but we all need, we all need that inner core, Or else, as the Apostle Paul writes, we will be tossed to and fro by every wind. I get that. I mean, I'm tossed to and fro, right? But it's God and it's community that's centered in God that brings me back to the essence, the true self that God has created inside me. And the same is true for all of you. And it's especially true for the children you are blessed to raise. And this sacrament of baptism, it's a sign, it's a symbol, first of God's unconditional love for Nikolai and for Hoke, and for all the children you are blessed to raise in this community. And you're making promises. You are making promises on their behalf, using the ancient words of our tradition that may not fully reflect our experience of what it means to follow Jesus, but but that we say anyway, because they connect us to people who have been committing themselves to this faith for over 2000 years and our task as in every generation is to be in conversation with this tradition with these words alongside our experiences and our word and our words reflecting our questions our hopes our god-given vision so I'd like you now, if you have your bulletin, I'd just like you to turn quickly to the baptismal covenant It's coming up. It's coming up really quickly here, but I just want to point out a few things about it because I think it's so important. Um, So this is after the godparents and parents make their first initial promises, right? And it comes down to that first part where we all speak together, right? We are all asked to recite and reaffirm, if we are reaffirming baptism, these questions. And the first three questions are basically in question-and-answer form what's known as the Apostles' Creed, one of the most ancient creeds of the Christian faith. And they begin with this, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? Right? And I think it's important to remember here that belief in this context isn't, um, isn't assertion of an intellectual principle, at least not alone, but it's an orientation of our hearts, you don't have to have all the answers of faith to answer this question. You don't, have to, you don't have to know exactly what you're saying. You just have to feel the call to stand in the circle of Christian community with Jesus and his life and his teachings and his mystical presence at the, as our touchstone. That's what we're saying. We're giving our heart to this. And these are the basic tenets of faith that we're standing with. And the next five questions... Are what it looks like to live. These are the things that we do as Christians, and I often used to—I used to tell parents when I was a rector—and we would go through these questions. That these are the ones that you want to be able to answer with integrity, right? Um, you want to be able to say yes, with that wonderful caveat, with God's help, right? Um, right. It's a great caveat. <laughs> Love that. Um, so the first one is about continuing in community right? That's what all that means. Continuing in the apostles, teaching fellowship, breaking bread prayers. This is simply to remind us that we're not doing this as a solo sport. Christianity is is a team effort. We do this together. And part of what it means to be a Christian is to show up with other Christians. And sometimes you show up for your sake, and sometimes you show up for somebody else's sake, and you never know on a given day why you're there, right? But it's important that we show up. Second question is about, um, well, it's a reminder that we're all going to fall down and make mistakes. It's not if we fall into sin, it's when, right? When. And what are we going to do then? When we fall, will we allow ourselves to be picked up by the grace and forgiveness of Jesus and can carry on? Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God? This is a call to an integrated life, to walk our talk, as they say, To strive to live in such a way that our words and our actions are consistent with one another. And to share whatever glimpse of mercy and grace we've known. And then the last two questions are simply about how we're going to live in the world. Will we seek and serve Christ in all persons? Will we strive for justice and peace? Respect the dignity of every human being. Let there be no doubt that the priorities of a Christian are to be in service to the world as christ was as christ is and to pray and to work for justice and peace now for those of us who get to follow this path it's it's a challenging one Um, it can't be lived within the safe boundaries of convenience or with gifts that cost us nothing and yet at the heart of it the heart of it is a path and a relationship to god in christ And what it gives us and what it promises our children is priceless. A relationship with God in Christ that sustains and guides and forgives and inspires and teaches us what it looks like to love. And we want that for ourselves and we want that for our children. And I just want to say, looking at all of you, that your children are so blessed to be here. Nikolai and Hoke are so blessed to be baptized among you, um, a community that will love and prize them and help them grow into the fullness of God's dream for them and God's dream for us all. So carry on, Christ Church, and uh, let's continue to hold up this beacon for ourselves, for our children, and for God's world. Amen.